Hello, this is Clea of the Map Report, and you're listening to Soundscapes of Serenity. Welcome. I hope this next segment of soothing sounds help you reach a higher plane of existence. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Namaste, gentle emu. Namaste. Left my home back in Omaha. See if I can make it out in the world. And I got as far as Wichita. Suddenly I wasn't sure anymore. Lost all my friends in Los Angeles And I'm not welcome in New York But I must stop back in Omaha Where the fans, they always crying out for All right, in that case... Welcome to Member Report number 121, May 20th, 2010. What's going on, everyone out there? We want to welcome uh, everyone who's listening and welcome people here, specifically Russ, who has arrived from the West Coast and is uh, visiting for about three seconds before he goes up to Boston for a wedding and then um, picks up a carrier pigeon to get back home or something. Did you see he's still wearing those really weird West Coast shoes, Greg? Yeah. They're, they're not even shoes. They're like, they mold to his feet. They're, they're like sandal, five-toed socks. sandals. They're yeah. like really hard, like paper mache socks. West Coast shoes? They're like future shoes. They belong to no coasts. <laughs> West shoes? In the future, global warming <laughs> creates Pangea, and they're the shoes of the one continent. They do look Dying a little bit like shoes. water world shoes. That's true. They do look like something people, Kevin Costner. Yeah, they ask me, are those swimming shoes? I'm like, no, they're not swimming shoes. They're everything shoes. I run in them, I jump in them, and I... They give you enough dis- support to run? Are you serious? Well, yeah. That, that's what I was saying, was like, there was like no... You, know. you must have very good feet. Like, if anyone has any kind of foot problems, I can't imagine they would work. They cure foot problems, Clea. <laughs> and you think I'm kidding, but I'm not. <laughs> that No, see, I was actually telling someone about this earlier today, um, which is that I would prefer to spend about 15 seconds every month thinking about what is cool to wear on your feet and, like, what kind of shoes people wear. And so using that allocated amount of time over the years, I came up with this pair of moccasins that I would wear all the time that I thought were, like, kind of cool, but not what everyone else would wear. And nobody gave a crap. Nobody mentioned them. Nobody cared. And so finally I gave up. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to wear pure science on my feet from now on and stop (laughs) worrying about fashion at all. Pure science. Yeah. Because, you know, I I, I can't believe that I've never talked about my Vibrams on the Met Report before, but I think that's actually... Uh, I'm sorry. Your what? Sounds a little dirty. Vibram Five Fingers. That is the name oh, of the shoes. Oh, that sounds <laughs> Really, Russ? This, this Romani was complaining about the street names on the way here, and you, you were wearing Vibram's Five Fingers? When she feels a little uncomfortable, get her some Vibram Five Fingers. <laughs> Works every time. I'm she can put them on her feet returning. or elsewhere. Um... Are those like those finger massages that supposedly you see them like using them on their shoulder? And you're like, sure, I'm sure that's exactly what they're used for. (laughs) Just one finger, ladies. Five (laughs) Five fingers. fingers. Oh, my God. So anyway, so I decided, and I can tell you about why it's scientifically viable later, but 
I decided that I'm just going to wear science on my feet. I don't care anymore. I'm just stop trying to be cool. As soon as I did that, I started getting compliments on these things all the time. Naturally. From people know they're like, cool shoes, man. Those are awesome. You, you're just a trendsetter, aren't you? Like, yes, I'm a trendsetter. That's why I do this. That's, I was hoping, I was like, what does nobody do that if I do, they'll call me a trendsetter? I'm like, I know, crazy toe gorilla feet shoes. <laughs> and that's the answer. So now you get compliments from women? Everybody, I it it is rare that I go for a walk in my vibrams and people. First of all, they're a tremendous icebreaker. If you're ever having an uncomfortable silence with someone, you can step on a piece of ice and they just like break beneath your vibrams five fingers. The toughness of my feet has increased by many times, and I can kick through glaciers and. It's like it's like the world. It's like the greatest warming. American superhero, but only on the feet. Like, look at what happened to me. I can't believe it myself. So many advantages on my feet. Oh, it should have been somebody else. Um, so they're great icebreakers. They and and all the time, people are like, wow, what what like old old people usually laugh. Older people usually say, you are a crazy young person. What is wrong with you? Has anyone on the East Coast complimented your shoes other than your mother? Today in the city, my mother does not like these shoes, okay. I'll have you know. Okay. Uh, nor does my grandmother. All my grandparents and everyone in my family thinks I'm weird. Okay. That has been very clear. They're just like, why do you do... What are, you, what are they? Are they flippers? <laughs> <laughs> they look like flippers, but without the long thing at the end. And That's that true. And that just doesn't sound good either. So carry on. Yeah, when I, I was walking around in Manhattan today, I had lunch, and uh, some... Um, lady passed by walking on the street she's like i like your shoes i said thank you what she look I'm like i'm wearing science um <laughs> she was a shorter hispanic young woman uh-huh that's, that's with best. normal shoes <laughs> what was her clothing like i don't remember these things this is the person who was thinks about prostitute? fashion 15 <laughs> seconds a month <laughs> was she a prostitute <laughs> i Great. like those shoes yeah it's only a good icebreaker if you're talking to prostitutes <laughs> Is the problem. Yeah, hey, I got you some Vibrams five fingers right here. Why are they called five toes? Wouldn't that make sense? Because it's like converting your toes into usable digits, into fingers. So it feels as if like, you're walking on your hands all the time. I, I have so many philosophies. I'm so glad that you brought this up, Rick, because <laughs> so many philosophies have crossed my mind ever since I started wearing these. Like... <laughs> It is it is very odd to know that the entire world denies in on some level denies the existence of their own toes. Like because of the way that shoes were designed when, you know, this was all the technology that we had a few right. hundreds of years ago. Right. Toes just sort of went away and they became mashed together into this sort of hoof shape shoe. And and when you walk around with toes with articulated or with shoes with articulated toes, like it really does seem like, especially women with like stylish shoes, yeah. it looks like they're trying to achieve the look that there's a, like a mystical fawn or some kind of creature with hooves. You know, you know what I mean. Like, I think that's actually subconsciously part of the effect that high fashion goes for is that tries to make them look non-human and mystical, and part of that is obscuring their their. What about flip flops? Human characteristics. Yeah, flip flops aren't really a fashion statement. Um, also, the least, in my opinion, the least comfortable shoes ever made. I hate. Oh, you know, I should show you my um, my new yoga flip flops. Uh, Clea, for those of you in the listening audience, Clea is now going to get her yoga flip flops, which I insist, and she also has yoga pants, which I insist on calling Yoga Flame from the Great Street Fighter. Yoga flip flops. So, what what makes these flip flops different from your everyday? They, they activate each chakra. Oh yeah, you see, it it is. It's separating your toes. Right. 
And so what it does is by if she steps on all of them at once, a fireball shoots out from both feet and destroys all the ground. It's about like I think it's like a hundred foot radius, basically. So right. she has to be careful. She had to be trained to use these shoes. But it's a similar philosophy to the Vibrams, I think. <laughs> Well, I think somewhat if if um, if the Vibrams believe that uh, believe that it's like a millions of people. <laughs> oh. That's the secret. It's like an alien race. It's, it's like Venom in Spider-Man. It's like we possess you. Yeah. It's like no, dude, you will walk forward. No, I want to walk backwards. No, I will articulate five toes on you. <laughs> Resistance is futile. Okay, look, look, wait, wait. Before you go on, lightweight vegan flexisole earth shoe <laughs> is on the front page of, of course, Gaim. G A I M, and everything is like green toned. Is, and is that is that the brand of your yoga flip flops? Yeah. Actually. So these are Gaim's a big yoga company. Mm-hmm. They're the they first started with making yoga mats, and now they make everything. But it's it's based on the idea around the certain point, um, like shiatsu points in between your your toes, and so it's stimulating those as you walk. And that also, and this is probably the same concept as your shoes. They believe that if you're spreading your sh- your toes more when you're when you walk, you're supporting your heels more properly and your alignment's better, which improves your stability. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, part of the new brand of science behind the Vibrams is that um, heel striking is a bad habit that people get into when they walk using sneakers because the design of sneakers is to cushion the heel, and so you use that cushion by when you walk by coming down on your heel and. Even though it's cushioned by the shoe, the theory goes that you're still doing damage to your knees and to your ankles, and and you're not using your feet in the way that they were biomechanically designed, mm-hmm. which is to walk on the balls of your feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you walk barefoot, or when you walk in Vibrams, which is basically the same thing, um, it's sort of forcing you to walk on the balls of your feet because it hurts to smash your heels into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're for so you're forced into a more uh, comfortable. Um, well, you know, but doesn't that make you cramp your calves? No, actually, um, I mean, the first couple weeks that you wear them, you definitely feel weird sorenesses in the lateral parts of your feet and your calves, and because you're growing muscles that you don't use when you wear regular shoes, and then and it does, it sort of helps with your lateral movement and helps with your agility and makes your feet. Like for me, I th- had I thought I had flat feet because I wore like orthotics in my shoes. Yeah, Clea has orthotics. Um, and uh, what the Vibrams did is they basically exercised my arch to the point where they became less flat. And so, I, you know, I thought that I would develop plantar fasciitis by wearing these because I'd had it before from wearing sandals where I wore sandals for walking too long. And plantar fasciitis is a strain of the arch of your foot. Well, that's what I that's what I got. Yeah. And it's, it's we've talked thing. about plantar fasciitis in the member report before. It, it was it was very funny, albeit very painful. It's for the you. worst thing because there's no treatment. It's like if you walk, it hurts. And if you lay down, it hurts. And both are bad for plantar fasciitis. <laughs> no, it's pre- yeah, it's pretty much just stretching uh, some physical therapy stretching then using orthotics going forward yeah and so and but strangely enough these shoes like absolutely improve the arch in my foot Um, maybe i'll give it a shot but i still don't see how it's enough what's the word i'm looking for arch support no cushioning padding 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 on the bottoms um it's just enough so that i mean you do get sort of more information from your feet when you walk in vibrams like you can feel the texture of what you're walking on um, so grass is more comfortable to walk on. But than I have sidewalk. to walk outside on the sidewalk. I mean, yeah. I'm glad that my feet will tell me. You know what? You really shouldn't be walking on this hard <laughs> concrete, Clea. I really would prefer it if you were walking in a flower meadow. Well, that's really nice feet. But guess what? You live in New York City, and you have to walk on this. So just deal. It's just enough cushion to protect you from hurting yourself by stepping on a pebble or something like that. But 
Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't play, you know, football in them because, A, you can get your feet stepped on and that still hurts when you're wearing Vibrams despite their super normal, supernatural powers. But, yeah, no, you do. You have enough padding. I mean, they're training you to walk barefoot, so it's sort of the minimal... They're sort of enhanced feet. That's what they're designed to be. <laughs> like, not really shoes as much as if your feet were a little bit tougher, this is what they'd feel like. I mean, I was just going to say, what, what? I mean, why not just walk barefoot then? I mean, what? what is the, you know... Because, you know, these give you a little bit of protection against foreign objects. It just looks so... I don't know. See, for me... I, I can't get over the look. I, but I think, I think your point is valid of the fact that we've, come, we've grown accustomed to no toes. Right. I think that's true. And I, I can't and deny I, that. And I enjoy the accust- being accustomed in that way. <laughs> I hate... I don't like sandals. I hate flip-flops. I'm like, please, sneakers, sign me up. Or my super awesome black shoes that I wear for everything. Or something like that, you know. I'm just not... Greg has some issues with his toes. I could even cite you some lore of uh, that, you know, humans used to be persistence hunters, which means that we would basically follow a herd of prey and we'd run them to death. Not that we'd sprint, but we'd, we could just jog until the herd would drop from exhaustion. <laughs> okay. and, and, you know, obviously we're not really, or most people aren't capable of that anymore. And part of the theory is... is that because the persistence hunters were barefoot runners, that they could persist for a much longer time in running without doing damage to their their knees or their joints. I see. Because um, it's a much smoother, less impactful way of running. To and run what the about the her- feet. what about the herd people though? The herd I mean, people. I mean, the herd creature. I mean, the and herd invented shoes. Right. <laughs> I was just gonna say, like the hooves were the problem. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were certainly some ridiculous, like some of the women that used to have the enormous blocky heels, which looked like. Like you're walking around in clown shoes, those are ridiculous mm-hmm. and incredibly stupid and whatever. But I don't. I remember Andy, uh, former MEP reporter Andy Terrell, talking about this and thinking, saying, you know, it's true. I never really understood the point of heels, but then I, you know, I, I knew this girl, and you know, she put on these heels, and immediately her attractiveness level shot into the stratosphere. <laughs> it just made everything about her it's look because more attractive. it lengthens legs. Yeah, but I, I was like, no, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't see that. I not, I don't know, not my thing. I um, I've been reading this fantastic book recently um it's uh, joseph campbell's uh, the masks of god you've been on a big joseph campbell kick i'm over reading the last crazy year amounts half, so. of mythology and psychology these days i'm yeah. just so interested in human brains the old and young in the book he the first section of it is a whole chapter on primitive mythology and he talks about these things which are called isomorphs which are sort of very basic mental pictures that were compelling to ancient cultures and started their creation myths and basically all came from their deep psychology and he talked about how i guess zoologists or people who study animals would find that they exist in nature so for instance there's a butterfly who is more attracted to its mate the darker color it is Mm -hmm. and so what these scientists did was they made up a mock-up of a butterfly darker than any butterfly that exists in real life and the butterfly chose their mock-up over living butterflies even though that thing didn't exist and it was just a form okay and so I feel like that it's possible that the whole idea behind fashion and, like, the mythical hoof shoes and makeup and all that stuff is to create the sort of mystical ideal that is more attractive to us than what real people look like. And part of that is eliminating, like, human characteristics, like feet or, you know, and having, like, smooth, you know, It's possible, but another way of looking at it, maybe it's the same way you're looking at it, I'm just seeing it slightly differently, is is that animals will, they will like the extreme of a characteristic beyond that of the normal range like i wonder if there's a particular point that we reach where it's too extreme like if if the the butterfly picture was so dark that they were not interested 
Or, <laughs> it's or just is a it, black piece of paper. Here, the butterfly is like, uh. Or if like it really is taking a characteristic to its extreme and that it makes it beautiful. I remember this one, <clears throat> I don't remember what magazine it was, but they had supposedly the prettiest face and it was a computer um, amalgamation of all of the different most popular parts of the face so like they chose what the highest rated eyes were and they put them with the highest rated nose and they put them with the highest rated lips and the face wasn't very pretty because mm-hmm. none of all of that really fit but <clears throat> so I, I wonder if certain human characteristics that we find attractive went to their extreme fashion do we continue to find that attractive yeah, I, I I buy that for humans that humans can be more attracted by fakeness and things that were created out of mental concepts rather than what of what actual people look like because I think it is sort of a parallel and that's why men are attracted to you know or some men obviously not everybody are attracted to like fake breasts and other enhancements that don't that aren't proportional and don't make women look like real humans and and the high fashion sort of accentuates their lack of humanity but on some level it's more attractive because there's some genetic drive in us that looks for these features that don't actually exist but i wonder i mean i don't know and as you said i mean you made the caveat just there that you know not all men but i just anecdotally i not only do i not but i don't know really anyone myself that feels uh, that is really attracted to like high fashion models i find first of all i find them all skeletal sticks which i have no interest in and secondly i just find that there's nothing about them interests me at all like I, I, I find them very like i find them literally almost ugly is the way i feel like most fashion models are so you look at like america's next top model or something like that and i'm always like that is what that's ugly and you know i i just don't i don't so i don't understand really and i've never found anyone who said who really liked that sort of, you know, attractiveness. Like, you're more likely to find someone that they would be attracted to as, like, a celebrity, like a Scarlett Johansson or, like, a movie star where there's some slightly broader view of the way that women look, slightly broader, should look, as opposed to, you know, what you see in, say, like, fashion sort of parlance. But on fashion shows and things like that, I never find any of them ever attractive. And I don't know, maybe just me, but... I just doesn't I find it very off-putting and almost I don't know to me it would almost be like if it's someone who feels less human if the enhancement hasn't been done in that case it seems like all that they're enhancing is sort of like the ability like Clea said this once the ability to sort of wear a dress like you've got sort of a you know a mobile what do they call that a mobile dress form you clothes, know clothes hanger. yeah or, or, or yeah like a clothes hanger like a living clothes hanger and I don't you know I'm not attracted to clothes hangers I mean nothing against them you know there's some fine looking cedar you know clothes hangers but i'm not uh not really interested in them romantically one thing that I, I wonder about is whether it is pure conditioning that you know over the years we have been shown these images you know the yes. whole beauty myth theory yeah sure it is um but i think i mean I, and obviously that's a huge factor and i believe that that's true and part in the industry partly controls these images of beauty and that's what people absorb in the media and so that's what they think is beautiful but i i think that there is some of this other thing this sort of genetic drive for certain features that we find beautiful and that if you can create those artificially and make them even more extreme than they exist in nature that people are attracted to those things well i mean i think that that's nice to know that all animals do it so it's not just like that humans have created this evil media concept and (laughs) you know it's that that it's a natural animalistic drive and we just have unfortunately great technology that that has made it maybe snowball the effect and and made it even worse than it it necessarily needs to be 
I to do- the point that we, you know, have self harm. You know, you don't see butterflies going out there and diving into mud. <laughs> well, mud but may- or- maybe they do. Like, I'm not dark enough. You're fine just the way you are. But you know what, Clea? <laughs> Moths will kill themselves on flames because they're something that is, you know, to them um, genetically attractive. I don't know exactly why they're attracted to light and and flame, but they will kill themselves. You know, seeking that out because they're driven instinctually to that. Those but things. they won't. But they won't kill themselves to make themselves look more like flames to other moths. Like the only way you will love me yeah, is was, if I throw myself I into for. a flame. <laughs> I was trying to go for like them flying into a tar pit because they're trying to make themselves look darker. Yeah. <clears throat> only for you. If they were smarter, they might do that. I just finished reading um, a very impressive book by a guy, a famous author named Joe Haldeman. Um, and the book is called The Forever War. It was um, a very powerful book written in like 74, 75, I think is when it comes out. And it really, of course, is it tells the story of this war which lasts um, 1,143 years. And there's all this stuff about relativity and how, you know, he, like the main character is a guy named Mandela, not Nelson Mandela, just Mandela, um, is able to go out and, um, you know, sort of it, in, his sub, in his subjective view, it takes like four months to get to like some planet. But objectively, it takes like, you know, 200 years or something based upon the way light travel works or whatever. And, of course, he's a Vietnam veteran. He won a Purple Heart, Joe Haldeman did. And so this is naturally an, it, it really incredibly harsh, sat, not satire, I can't even say, but a really harsh commentary on the Vietnam War, um, which is the war that he knew the best. And, of course, it's a, this one is a, it's a pointless war against largely, I won't say faceless, but enemies that are very inscrutable. We don't know why we're fighting them even, and it takes place very far from home and, you know, whatever. But one of the interesting things is every time he comes back to Earth, hundreds of years have passed. And so every time he comes back to Earth, there's like enormous changes beyond his ability to comprehend it. And that's one of the ways that the military keeps him in for so long, because he actually survives. I don't want to spoil it for people, but he survives the whole war. So like the whole thing is told from his perspective as the one guy who managed to live you know, for him, it was only like, whatever, five or 10 years, right? But for everyone else, it was 1100 years. So every time he comes back to Earth, Earth has changed radically, and usually from his point of view, not for the better. And so he ends up having to leave it again. And um, it reminds me of Planet of the Apes a little bit, a little bit, but much more subtle, because Haldeman's a better writer. But one of the things that um, comes up in the process of doing that is sexuality. So the second or third time he returns to Earth, I don't remember, he discovers that heterosexuality has largely been outlawed. And then after time, they they don't really enforce the law. They just kind of think that it's very odd when someone is born who's heterosexual because homosexuality sort of controls population and makes it less likely that they're going to have to worry. This this assumes that sort of thing that we now know to be incorrect, which is that the population was just going to increase until we had like 50 billion people on the planet. We can't sustain it. As we've discovered, I think you told me this, Russ, like they've discovered now that it's actually that's not likely to happen. Like it's going to slow down and, you know, whatever. But he was basing it on extrapolating, I think, that way. And so homosexuality becomes the thing that's encouraged. And eventually it's all just like test tube babies and Brave New World and all that kind of stuff, right? But the interesting thing is how Mandela reacts to that in each case, because although he's weirded out by all of it, he doesn't go crazy. And there's something about the sort of ability to find it weird, strange, and yet still want to live in... 
I don't know, even if it's a really unusual environment, still want to live with other human beings despite how strange the environment has become, basically. But you said he keeps leaving. Well, he keeps... Well, yeah, I should say that eventually that happens. Right, but he keeps leaving, but he doesn't kill himself. He doesn't, you know, like, go crazy. He doesn't, you know, cast himself. Part of it is that he meets this woman that he falls in love with, and um, that that's sort of keeps him going, I guess. But the other part of it is just something about him internally. And he says he doesn't want the army to have gotten the best of him because he was drafted into this war to begin with. It's just interesting to see, to sort of think about the possibility that even if sort of technology advanced beyond our ability to understand it and our notions of beauty, what we view as being, you know, those things which we consider to be sort of deeply held ideas, you know, which is why these people who defend so-called traditional marriage are so freaked out about gay marriage. I think a lot of it is because it strikes at the sort of core of what they believe to be legitimate and true. But what this book suggests is that 300 years from now, that we're not going to view it as some fundamental thing, that heterosexuality is fundamentally important and that it's hardwired into us in some way, but that we're going to have come to the point where homosexuality and heterosexuality sexuality will become relatively exchangeable terms for not just us who already believe these things, but I mean for people just sort of writ large. Like it's not going to be a big deal for anyone either way, and they're not going to understand why it was ever considered that big a deal. So I don't know. I think it's an interesting, he has a lot of interesting conceptual ideas in there. Yeah, that seems like the natural progression of things. I mean, it's just, you know, the gays or uh, the blacks used to be persecuted do we, ones and do we gays replace then, it with something else though we maybe, replace it with other yeah maybe xenophobia movies. i think might be the next big thing it seems like a hot button issue these days sure sure you're with us or you're with the immigrants as it is as it were will be the next big uh, frontier of, of bigotry uh, did you in in which reminds me of that you so this guy rand paul ron paul's son mm-hmm. uh and ron paul has not been covering himself in glory neither did Rand paul but anyway Rand paul's son i think it's in kentucky won um the primary to run for, I believe it's the Senate. I can't remember if it's the Senate or the House. But anyway, so he's a Tea Party guy. And they were asking him about civil rights stuff because he's not very good on civil rights issues. And they were asking him about, well, you know, Bob Jones University used to have this thing that was very, you know, that was sort of not only not affirmative action, but essentially prohibited African-Americans from applying to their school and so forth. And would you approve of that? And he said, well, I don't approve of bigotry in general, but we need to understand that if you're going to start questioning private institutions and deciding whether or not they can or can't let people in, Mm -hmm. you know, I could turn that back on the liberals, he says. For example, if someone walks into a restaurant and wants to carry a gun, you know, if I'm really going to follow your logic, I'd have to allow them in too because they're holding a gun. So apparently he compares a african-americans to people who choose to bring a gun into a restaurant and that group has become a protected class in his mind of the same well, kind as any other minority group evidently okay well so he gave a stupid example. rand paul ladies and gentlemen they're, they're born paul. with little wallets with nra cards in them <laughs> exactly like if they ever drop their gun they fall over dead like it's a genetic condition called yeah. charlton hestonitis they're, they're or something. the protoss yeah, yeah. well I, I do i do For a dune. I, I wouldn't i wouldn't deny the possibility that many of, of those people have taken on certain beliefs because they fit the larger whole. You know, I'm sure that many of them might not have originally had much of a feeling about arms, but since they joined this more conservative viewpoint in other areas, then they've developed, you know, that same language around wanting to keep certain, certain you know, arms legalized. But I do think, I mean, it, his, he started good in that making his point for his side Right of saying that you know the whole keeping things private and not wanting to have huge government, big government, or something like that. 
but I don't exactly know how he then got to that example. No, I mean, probably neither does he. I mean, you know, know exactly how he got to it because I mean, you know, because it's a ridiculous argument. Like, I, I think mean, also partially because he was trying to say give a liberal example, and since he's so devoid of knowledge of what liberals actually think, he right? Exactly, come up with an example. Exactly. Also, since the liberal examples are true. <laughs> Because they, because because in this case, the liberal examples are essentially anti-bigoted. I mean, if someone wants to make an argument as to why bigotry is a reasonable position to hold, that's fine. I mean, good luck, you know. But that's essentially the problem, right? Is that it's it's not a matter. It's sort of like when Fox News tries to do the fair and balanced thing, and their version of it is to let's take someone who's telling the truth, and then let's find someone you know which is factually backed up by science, evidence, etc., and then let's find someone who disagrees based on nothing. It's like you know, well, here's Obama's birth certificate in triplicate, supported by every major institution and agency, sworn by six thousand this, that, and the other, right? And now here's what's her name orly tatis who thinks that it's not real why well because i don't think it's real okay that's fair and balanced like there's a certain point where it's not a matter of discussing opinions it's a matter of fact on one side like gravity exists and on the other side you know non-fact that person should not be getting a chance to air their views in this condition so the idea that you would suggest that someone carrying a gun should be a member of a protected class like african-american hispanic-american you know etc is ridiculous in the extreme but he doesn't get that obviously because tea party people are well not very bright Wait, well but think about what you're just saying though thinking about the fact that people who would be making an opinion based on faith shouldn't those views shouldn't be aired i mean obviously those people aren't going to agree with you greg since all of them believe in the bible and believe in god and most of their beliefs are based on faith and not based on proof quote unquote as and as we see it. by faith you mean carefully selected and hand-picked passages from an old piece of text right but I don't even see how faith applies to, I don't think Obama is born in America. Here are all the facts that show that he is. Well, I just don't believe it. I mean, that's not biblical, right? No, no, no. But but I was talking about the fact that you were saying you made a generalized comment that people that, are, that aren't putting forth actual facts, that are just putting forth opinions, shouldn't be aired. Oh, and I don't think... under that regard, no religious... Well, no, no, no. I think you can make arguments based upon, let's say, circumstantial evidence. You can make arguments based upon things that don't have tangible sort of, you know, proof behind it per se, but you can't make un- arguments that are based upon literally any kind of lack of reason, right? I mean, there are people, there are many people out there who make, for example, on a faith level, very good and cogent arguments for the existence of God. They have evidence for God. You know, there's plenty of examples of people who are able to do that very well. And there are cer- it's certainly everyone's right to believe what they like. I just don't think it's reasonable for a news organization to say, here's all this evidence, facts, and so forth. I mean, they had, it, to, they had to pass a law in Hawaii, okay, that allowed them to turn down requests from people asking to see Obama's birth certificate because they've been so inundated. This is true. So inundated with requests for Obama's birth certificate, repeated requests, that they were just like, yeah, no, no, we don't have to answer that question. They should, anymore. like, leaflet Tulsa, Oklahoma with <laughs> copies of Obama's birth certificate. Exactly. Exactly. Propaganda campaign. Exactly. Here it is. Now they should just have a series of, like, index cards that they send back with a big no on it. Just, like, send it back to everyone. No. But I... No. I mean, that that idea of just these sort of faith-based empty arguments has been bothering me for a while. I mean, just because, you know, we're all debaters and our national dialogue operates on a level below any any rational debate i mean if you every time i i'm back in new york and i'm i'm surfing through the uh, the am stations looking for 660 or looking for the yankee game i will inevitably come upon these right-wing clear channel conservative talk radio stations 
and I can't help but listen to them for a little bit because they're just so vitriolic. And I'm like, okay, all right, give me your point of view. Tell me, give me what you got. You know, I want to hear your arguments. And there are never any arguments ever, yeah. ever. There's just a bunch of older white men who rant and rave and call people names yep. and say, just another crackpot liberal ruining your country. Just another socialist, socialist communist liberal ruining your country. I'm like, are you going to give any reasons for anything that you say ever? Because <laughs> I would love to hear them. I would love to hear where the conspiracy to the liberal media came from. I would love but, to hear how the blacks and Hispanics... But that's and my point. No such reason is. exists, though. That's the point. There is no such reason. It's they have so, no argument. I mean, There is none. To think that there are people, and there are obviously lots and lots and lots of people who are compelled by this sort of thing that their minds don't really work these are people who are going to get alzheimer's at a very early age because they have lost the ability to exercise the logical well but I, it could also brain. be yeah, that yeah. it could also be and this is going to sound really bad but i can't think of how to say it that there are some people who just are intellectually limited and so maybe they don't have the thought processes the capability to comprehend these things on this um, difficult little level. I don't, I don't so agree with that. I think they maybe they, they're atrophied because they, they've never learned how to argue, but that, I don't that agree may, that they don't have the capacity to do No, no, I'm saying, well, that that's, okay, okay. Capacity or, let's say, skill. Okay, either they weren't taught sure. how to ha- how to do that uh, fine-tuned um, intellectual discussion, or maybe they do have some limitations. There are people with lower IQs, Russ. That just is the way genes are. But, you know, even even dumb people can be like, I want ice cream. Why do you want ice cream? Because it's tasty. <laughs> you know, like, so good. That's maybe some of these people are like, that's I want great. ice cream. Why? Ice cream. Why? Yeah, exactly. Ice cream. That's what it is. That's what they're doing. I want ice cream. Why? I like it. But why do you like it? It's ice cream. <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> it's like the level of Cenovine. Cenovine calls it Akitote. 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 We're like, why? Akitote? Akitote. You know, because cinnamon means two. I mean, that's the other like thing. Some ancient Sumerian delicacy. But what? She is literally half alien, Russ. <laughs> you should listen to her speak. She'll say a sentence and then she'll go. That's it's literally true. She's like, literally oh, where did the hat go? Maybe she's related to Lou Gusset Jr., the drac from Any Mine. You know what it is, actually? I think it's I think it's that every children's show that she watches, not everyone, but a lot of them say the thing in English and then repeat it again in Spanish. And I think she's maybe got the wrong idea. Like in ice cream, where'd the hat go? Like she thinks that's that's essentially Spanish. But um, no, I mean, I think I think the thing that I, I think that what Russ you're talking about and Cleo you're talking about too is partly a function of two things. Number one, an educational system which has really failed to give people not only, I don't care if these people can't articulate the position, I want them at least to be able to assess the position. That's why it's important to teach things like rhetoric and things like that so they can learn these things ahead of time. But the second thing is that a lot of these people, and this is what this is coming from, they're scared. They tend to be largely white, something like 90% white is what the Tea Party is. They tend to be largely less educated. They tend to be largely Largely from south, you know, especially southern regions and western, southwestern regions of the country, and sometimes midwestern regions, you know, like essentially isolated areas of the country as well. And they're deeply frightened. They have a black man as a president of the United States. That is an entire sea change for them that they're not ready for. It's like the guy I was quoting before. It's like Mandela coming back to the earth 200 years from now in this this book, The Forever War, and going, oh my God, that's what they feel like they've been deposited into the middle of. And some people, when they are confronted with something that they literally cannot understand or change that is too much for them to sort of accept and deal with, 
that leads them to react unpredictably and sometimes violently. And that's why I think you see it. This, this, this is the death throes, in my view, of this movement of, you know, white racists, largely people who has lost their grip on the world. The world has moved beyond them. And the danger, of course, is making sure that, you know, you don't want to attack a wounded animal <laughs> while it's in the process of dying. And I think that's what's going on here. So, of course, they don't have any arguments because, again, I go back to what argument is there for bigotry? Well, How couple, does it exist? Yeah. Um, a couple arguments here. One, I would say th- this is um, sort of the negative side of globalizing and having the Internet and things like that. The positive side is you increase freedom and democracy and information. Yeah. And the negative side is that you allow all of these people in these weird and possibly harmful subcultures to commiserate with each other and form right. groups. And you have this huge factionalization that happens right. where all of these groups become, you know, a bit, they, they become able to form and believe in their like weird Met beliefs. Like report listeners. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, you know. And I do think that you can't deny the, the, the role that um, memorization plays in people thinking that a statement of fact can come from something that they've purely memorized. They don't realize that it's that way. But I think that, I think that when someone says... When they're saying the comment that he's a socialist communist, that our president's a socialist communist, they think that's actually a point. Yeah. But that's because that's what they've just heard over and over and over and over and over and over sure. again. And so they, they think that that's a point on their on their logistical level. Yeah. Because they've – I do think many of – I do think our, our educational system has given more attention to writ memorization over the power – the learning properties of reasoning. Absolutely. Um, but – I think that now yeah, you were going to say something else. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like play back off from the abyss. The other thing is, I will give a few points to Tea Party people, which is I think that many of their hearts are actually in the right place. Yeah, that's the um, sad thing. Because what I think that they see is, I think that you know, without any of the education necessary to understand what it is, they see the corruption that exists in government, and they recognize that. And unfortunately, their solution is this very basic kind of third grade libertarianism which is just like break everything down yeah tree of liberty must be watered with the blood of blah 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 exactly you know very populist very farmers with pointy rakes and torches an example that my father gives is that um i think he he claims thomas i think it was thomas jefferson used to say that a a government should have a revolution every Every five 10 years, years. So 10 yeah. years or something like that that is the example like they really would like to be able to start fresh because they think that how we started is right and if we could just go back to that we'll all see but it's a fundamental that's the point right it's a fundamentally nostalgic looking back to the past and i still maintain largely racist philosophy but go on Russo. um so i think that a lot of them are uh, they're 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 right in their hearts that you know these big entities that are controlling government that are controlling commerce that they need to be broken up. The problem is that they don't go towards the next step. They don't say, okay, we're actually going to have a thought experiment and create a new society. Like, what do you do? Do you have an anarchy? Because. Like, that is actually my philosophy. I'm a libertarian socialist, which is basically an anarchist, in which I believe that you break down all these systems and then you institute a system of personal responsibility and autonomy so that people sort of have to take care of each other because they're all humanists and there's no large entity to blame. You just have to do it yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, But they don't... 
they don't go to the level of how do we take care of things. They just go, I just want the Mexicans off my land, and I want the banks out of my house, and the foreclosure letters out of my mailbox, and just everybody shut up. And I want and, my mail to be uh, delivered, but I don't want to pay taxes. Exactly. I just like put exactly. some white on the I president's face. And I, that's want, all I, care I want the. <laughs> I want to be able to go to the gas station and get gas, but I don't want to have to you know deal with. And they don't. They don't. And get, I want to be able to do all this, even though I'm often unemployed. And so I want to be able to do this with the government's unemployment benefits helping me and Medicare backing me up because I need health insurance too. I mean that the, the level of hypocrisy is pretty hard to take. Also, let me just say I, I have less sympathy. I have to say than it sounds like you do, Russ. I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for a fundamentally racist, um, you know, ill-informed, ignorant movement that you know gains its authority from sloganeering and ideolo- ideologies. Uh, I should say um, demagoguery is what I meant to say. You know, I don't have a lot of patience for that, and I don't. You know, again, this this same the corruption that we're referring to existed with George W. Bush in office, but George W. Bush wasn't black. He wasn't from Chicago, and he pretended to be, although he was actually a northeastern, you know, blue collar guy. But he pretended to be this, uh, you know, not blue collar, uh, blue blood guy. To, but he pretended to be this, you know, Texan, you know, rancher. To be fair, even so, even at the end of the Bush administration, Congress's approval rating was like twenty percent. Like people but, were but still see, very unhappy, is, and they're also unhappy with Bush. I mean, people realized the failure of Katrina. They realized his failure to, you know, stop the wars that are going on. There, yeah. there was unrest even among that populace. I agree, less so because they didn't have the racism to really get them going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like. They were, they were upset with that, too. And um, I think what we're going to see in this new election, which is, you know, the Rand Paul thing is sort of the beginning of that, is people will realize that they can't just keep kicking one party out and voting the other party in. Right. And so there a lot more third really parties are going to become do. viable Gosh. now. Um, so in addition to Tea Party idiots, I think you might have some Green Party people and you might have some Libertarian and some Socialist Party. Yeah, Green and, Party has been, and Libertarians have been making slow, slow but subtle march. I think a lot of the message that people have taken is that the two main parties are just intrinsically corrupt. And but I think it will be, be difficult for, for Americans to actually make that switch because I think it's something that they consider part of America is to have the Republicans and the Democrats. And I don't think that I think it's difficult for them to let it let it go. I think the bank bailouts and the the fervor from from every political protest group from both sides um, will, will is going to start to drive that that away that those old notions and people are just going to kick whoever they can out of office i agree with that i think that that's one thing that the recent um you know it was just a couple days ago that we had this sort of series of primaries and things like that and what you learned from a lot of things for example specter losing to sestak um there you have a guy who was a republican who was moderate turned a democrat did so transparently because he wanted to get reelected, and then lost to a guy who was certainly more progressive than specter was um, you had another guy who was replacing uh, Murtha, the representative who died. Um, his district was the one district in Pennsylvania, or one of the districts that was carried by McCain and Palin in the general election, and he lost, the Republican lost badly to the Democrat in an election where a lot of money was poured in. What does it suggest? It suggests that even though everyone, the conventional wisdom has been, oh, this is a big anti-Democrat wave, and it's going to be like 1994, that's not what this is. What this actually is, as you just said, is a huge anti-incumbent thing. They don't care 
care who it is, Republican, Democrat, they want whoever it is out. And for whatever reason, they don't have the same feeling about Obama generally. Like generally Obama's approval ratings and sort of likability ratings and everything are reasonably high and considerably ahead of where Reagan and where Bush and where all, you know, former presidents of the last 20 years are at about this time in their term. There's a natural sort of drop, you know, as he's actually in the business of governing. So he's been kind of untouched by this. On the congressional level, you know, it's not going to be this anti-Democrat wave. It's an anti-incumbent wave. So the question is, how much can the people in, you know, currently in the incumbency sort of position themselves as anti, I mean, another example, Blanche Lincoln was a senator from Arkansas um, who ended up, he's going to have a runoff against this guy, this lieutenant governor from Arkansas, Bill Halter, who was hated by the Arkansas Democratic establishment. She also is going to have a lot to fight against, and the reason is because they don't really like her either. It's it's an incumbent problem, not a Democrat-Republican and, problem. And frankly, while the prospect of a bunch of Tea Party candidates becoming legislators is a little bit But scary, they're not going to, though. But if they do, if that prospect comes true, I don't think it'll be all bad. I mean, certainly they'll make they'll they'll pass some crazy, um, possibly anti-gay legislation. Lawsuits. A lot of yeah, I mean, uh, well, they'll assassinate you know blacks. But other than that, it'll be fine. A lot of uh, anti-immigration things. <laughs> but at the same, these are the people who are also going to pass the uh, you know the the audit for the Federal Reserve and. The, the breaking up the commercial from investment banking. And I think that they'll they'll also vote for that stuff, too. So we'll have a lot of white subsistence farming is what we'll have. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, the, the problem, you know, I, I would be very freaked out if I thought that was true. I think the truth is the Tea Party has no political... Um, authority other than to kick people out. That's the problem. The Tea Party is very, very good at splitting votes for the Republicans. The Tea Party people are very bad at organizing into anything kind of serious. Um, and that's, I don't know. I mean, know. Greg, the, the, like, I'm, here's the really scary part about the Tea Party is that their biggest organizers are like Glenn Beck and Sean Hannity and all of the commentators of Fox News. But such a but they're such a minority strip, though. You know, Beck's ratings are way, way down. He's losing millions and millions of. Listeners, I heard that, and viewers. it was it was all pointed to this one interview where there was some like uh some shamed new jersey congressperson who just left congress and yeah. he agreed to be on glenn beck and glenn beck thought he finally had the guy who was going to tell him about the democratic and progressive oh, i thought it was new york i think it was massa was the guy that you're talking about yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and he said finally someone's going to reveal the democratic conspiracy to control america and the socialist agenda and massa just got on and he bashed glenn beck and for for being a bigot and talked about what's good and basically wasted glenn beck's time in the glenn beck agenda of things and glenn yeah. beck apologized with fears like i'm sorry this has been a waste of your hour and everyone's like unlike all of your other shows exactly well what's what's so hilarious about this is the more that they turn to the right the, and it's no question the republicans are afraid desperately afraid of the extreme right wing of their own party the more that they turn to the sarah you know the half-term governors of the world and sarah palin and so forth the more that the rest of america is horrified and that's what's so hilarious these primaries are going to go more and more to these radical right wingers and they will get obliterated in the general election because most of america is not interested in this like even and this is we've talked about this before the one benefit of having a sort of broadly moderate culture which i think is what america tends to be if you want to put it this way story would say broadly apathetic maybe or broadly self-focused or something but the one benefit of it is that they don't react well to extremists at all like if they perceive them as being these radicals on one side they're like eh, i don't know about that and that reaction is awful for these people because that means that they don't turn out for them you know the famous enthusiasm gap that we talk about where people are kind of like, ah, I'm not really, you know, and those people are not going to go out and vote for them. They're not going to vote for these extremists. Though, so, I'm afraid, though, you know. that there that a super charismatic fanatical candidate will step up at some if point. If Hitler, Russ, comes back, 
we are in trouble. Seriously. I mean, think about how popular Sarah Palin is, and she can barely put a sentence together. And now think about... But she's not, though. She's only popular among her fringe group. She, yeah, I mean, she, she had, like, the number one best-selling book for months But that months doesn't matter, because, because she's a train wreck. The more, the more that she... You know this. The more she ran, the more people got to know her, the worse and worse and worse her ratings were. There's, and it's funny, because the intensity, the lower her sort of overall appeal gets, the in, more intense the people that are left are behind her. So the intensity of the people that are behind her, no wonder she thinks she can win elections because she shows up and there's a thousand people like, hey, and then a hundred thousand people are like, what a moron. That's the problem is that like, there's an incredible, it's the echo chamber, right? It's this incredible intensity of feeling, but in a smaller and smaller group because she's such a clown. So, know? I mean, but again, I think that maybe the moral of this story is that there just hasn't been anyone fully capable of harnessing all the outrage. And True. if that person steps up, True. then the outrage party will be the most powerful force in Absolutely, you're right about that. I'm much more afraid of the reasonable-sounding Glenn Beck. I'm not, I'm not afraid of Glenn Beck, who's you know a rabbiting lunatic. I'm not afraid of Hannity for the same reason. I am afraid of someone who comes along... You know, they talked about this in the early 90s. This guy, Ralph Reed. You remember Ralph Reed? He's the head of the Christian Coalition. Mm-hmm. And he was this very sort of, you know, kind of... He looked like a choir boy. I mean, you know, kind of the suit and everything else. That guy was frightening, because that guy was basically David Duke with a, a filter. Mm-hmm. And... If that guy somehow, that sort of person was able to harness the what we're talking about here, yeah, they could be very dangerous. The benefit, however, is I don't think those kinds of people lend themselves to that sort of leader. <laughs> because even if they start going out there and sound somewhat reasonable, the Tea Party's like, you sound reasonable! <laughs> you know, <laughs> and they like eat their young, and I mean, it's all this left. You mean you don't want to burn the Mexicans? <laughs> I can't support you, you don't want to burn the Mexicans. They took my job. Would you, you consider don't... trying to pass a bill to burn the Mexicans? <laughs> Can we can I we think just we need try to it out. Just, just be with me, my friend. Just smoke them lightly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> smoke them. Can we scald them with hot water and see how that goes? Can we lightly sear them? <laughs> I, I have a barbecue recipe right here if you want it. I lightly sear. make them stand in the sun. <laughs> Everything gets watered down in Congress. <laughs> we wanted to burn the Mexicans, and we got the Mexican sun tanning act. It was all fine until we got to the Senate. The Mexican sun tanning act. Oh man! All right, we've lowered the in committee. We lowered the SPF factor of what they're for. They can only wear SPF fifteen. Oh no, this is toothless now. We can't burn any Mexicans. What do you mean Obama's going to veto it? What on earth would he veto this bill for? Yeah. Well, they can opt out of using sunblock, in which case they're likely. To, but they have the choice. This is not good. Oh, How does this, this? Do you think this is a government takeover? No, no. This is liberty. The other, the health care, making giving people the option of health care. That's not about liberty. But you know, liberty is when you force people to you know be burned by the sun. That's that's you know. I mean, I don't know. Hey, speaking of uh, the the thing down in Arizona, by the way. Uh, and the immigration law down in Arizona, you guys know that uh, the Phoenix Suns, who are currently getting smoked by the Los Angeles Lakers, wore um, a Lost Suns outfit. And they did this supposedly in solidarity because Steve Nash, who's Canadian, so of course he's going to say he doesn't like this, but a lot of the people were like, you know, are all like, well, we really think this is a bad idea because, of course, it's an incredibly unconstitutional, horrific law that is unbelievable that it was passed. So, like, shut up, Canadian. Exactly. Nobody we don't cares. care about you. Um, but the interesting thing was when the Lakers were asked, well, will they, you know, sort of yeah, I think this was Phil Jackson. Yeah, they were. Phil Jackson was like, no, we're not going to do that. Now, Phil Jackson is supposed to be Mr. Zen, kind of down with the universe type of thing. He has too much money. Uh, you know what, though? 
why can't you be like Lost Lake? I, I sh- I'm sure that the owner wouldn't be upset about the prospect of appealing to the Latino community in Los Angeles. I think he would be totally yeah. fine with that. Especially so, given the fact that the L.A. City Council already chose to boycott Arizona. Exactly. Business. So I wanted to get your take on that, Russ. Like, do you think that the Lakers and any sports team, frankly, do you think like they should move the All-Star game out of Arizona? Like, how much do you think teams should or shouldn't react um, to this? My first hearing of this after I, I read about it on ESPN was I was listening to the worst sports radio station in the world, which is the only thing I have access to, which is ESPN 710 in Los Angeles. I, I mean, I, I wish I could sound like anything other than a New York homer who's like, everything in New York is great and everything in LA is garbage. But Mike Francesa of New York's sports radio compared to ESPN is like Martin Luther King versus the uh you know the beeping sound when they do the warning system on tv like the tone like that's the difference of enjoyability it's i have a dream beep, beep. it's it's so bad and so the argument that these morons who run espn 710 were making were i don't like it when sports and politics get merged i don't think that sports should have anything to do with politics i'm like really did you not were you not in favor of that whole jackie robinson thing was that not something that you were a but fan that's of? not politics now russ that was back in 1940 something in the past so of course i love when sports and politics you know become intertwined because i love both sports and politics and i think that sports fans and and we had this we almost had this exact same argument in the Tiger Woods podcast, which was basically like I think that anyone in a position of celebrity, especially a sports celebrity, like who is in the position to affect people's minds and inform them about pol- political issues, like should. So absolutely, I think that the Phoenix, especially given that it was their state that passed the law, like that's a powerful statement they're making. Definitely that they, that they oppose their own state. Um, yeah, and Phil Jackson just chose himself to be a sort of a rich, white, Republican, boring person who is, uh, you know, his politics are, are old and uh, outdated. And and the Lakers owner, you know, ought to have a little bit of guts and say, you know what, Phil, I'm paying you $12 million, $12 million a year to be a coach. Uh, we're going to do this. I don't care what you say. I mean, if Jerry Buss has got a little bit of, you know, guts... Let's let's man up here. I mean, and not even guts. It's the kind of thing that would he would be enormous for the community. Do you think L.A. is going to be like, I can't believe you're doing this? Or is L.A. going to be like, hell yeah. I mean, I haven't found a lot of people who are in favor of the Arizona law yeah. other than Glenn Beck. And when, when was you the know? last time you heard of a coach turning down uh, a reason to motivate his players to beat exactly. the team? You think Kobe's like, look, look, Phil. I don't. It, I, it's going to be strictly English. But Kobe, you you speak fluent Italian. No, I don't want to hear it. It's about English right now, but you're African American. Shut up! Uh, you know, I mean, I can't imagine that anyone was sitting there going, "I would be horribly offended." You think Pau Gasol would be like, "I think it's terrible that you're going against like American <laughs> white people." I don't like Spanish being exactly. a Spaniard. <laughs> exactly. So, so basically, Phil. Just, so you're saying this was totally? You think this was just Phil doing Phil being Phil? Like Phil was just like, "I can do whatever I want" because I'm Phil Jackson, basically. I, I think that it was Phil being a coward and that he was saying that. Uh, you know, he didn't want to make a political statement. Phil Jackson not wanting to make... He could do whatever he wants. He, he has 10 titles. He, he has all the money exactly. in the world. Like, say what you want. And as it turns out, he doesn't have anything to say that is not relevant to basketball. Yeah, apparently. So, I mean, okay. So that is sort of the take out there. Is the general tenor... So what about the L.A. City Council move? I assume the general populace out there is like, yeah. What, I, what I'd heard was, unfortunately, they boycotted Arizona on every front possible except for... The, like that Arizona supplies 25% of LA's electricity or something like that. And so, so they're like, well, the we'll, keep, we'll keep the electricity contract because we need that, but no more of that Gouda cheese from Arizona. 
Because that's Can you run your electricity through Nevada so we can, like, cleanse <laughs> yeah. it first to be, like, money laundering? Keep yes. on to the power. So I think there are actually several, or, or this may have been, um, it may have been Northern California that, that got their electricity from Arizona. But it's sort of like a bunch of toothless resolutions that don't do anything that sort of show outrage but would never really because it also would hurt the business in la it's not like la is doing great like the st- state of california is in crisis so all they need is like hey one of the three the three states that border us screw you state we don't want anything from you we're fine here there is another option and that is that since i think la has a more established um population that's sort of more used to this i think la might consider instead invading that i, think, I wish that could happen because i mean look they're they're hardened by gang violence in L.A. So they've already got, you know, the sense of what it takes. And people in Arizona, it's a bunch of retirees, you know, and, and people who like playing golf and, you know, people who like to water their lawns during, what you know, water shortages. So, I mean, they're not going to be ready for, you know, I think if L.A. sort of moved in with, by the way, with Schwarzenegger at the head. I mean, imagine that Schwarzenegger getting some camos and leads the, you know, the people of what, California what and was L.A. movie? Was it called like The Mouse That Roared or something? Right, right, right. The, the, the small the country, platoon, that, the one platoon from the unnamed country, takes over the U.S. by sneaking into Washington D.C. and like. Oh, capture. I thought it was. I, I thought that movie was about like the small country declares war on the U.S. or something. Well, it was. But they the, they declared war because they wanted reparations because they heard that every time that you lose a war to the United States, you get all this massive influx of cash. <laughs> oh, that's right. And so they that's did right. it, but yeah, then yeah. the U.S. didn't respond to their declaration of war. So they. They sent over, like, one boat full of seven guys to declare war so that they could lose, and then the seven guys won the war because they, like, captured the president and made us surrender. (laughs) So, like, yeah, L.A. should totally do that. That's what we should do. And that way you would solve all of these problems, not to mention the fact that it would feel, I think it would be good for California. They would feel good about themselves. You wouldn't have to worry about budget crisis because nothing's better for the economy than a war-footing economy. Um, and there wouldn't be any bloodshed. I mean, I'm sure Story, if he were on the show this week, would be objecting because of blood. There would be any bloodshed. These people would just be like, "Oh my God, there's people coming. Let me get in the golf carts and run away." There, there would never. There would be no. They do live in those little areas with fen- big fences, so they'll have to. They might not even see them come. They might not even know that they're being invaded. But see, the thing is, if you've got Schwarzenegger, what you'd have to do is take like a lot of the white people in the front because the Arizonans now are sort of set up to be afraid of anyone who has somewhat darker skin. But white people, as we all know, can't commit crimes. So from the point of view of the Arizonans, if you if you had Schwarzenegger in the front, they'd probably walk him with open arms until it was too late. So I think this is a plan which would lead to a minimum of bloodshed. And would ultimately, there'd be a slight shift in power. But, you know, California is, what, the seventh largest economy in the world? So, you know, I think I think they'd be able to handle, um, you know, Arizona's natural resources. And then they could depose the governor and, you know, get some sanity back going on. Arizona seems like one of those states, though, that's more trouble than it's really worth. It's just like mostly <laughs> desert and nothing there. Well, there's a lot of good golf courses, though. Good golf courses. So you could you could win golf courses, and it's no longer dry heat because of all those golf courses. Now they have a nice humidity like the East Coast. Yes, you know right. what they should do? They should take George Carlin's advice and turn all golf courses and cemeteries into low cost housing for homeless people. Yeah, absolutely. And start with Arizona. So you could actually on the so the vanguard would be the army, but then behind the army, led by Arnold Schwarzenegger, would be a bunch of the homeless people. So like they just sweep through, take over, and then they leave the homeless people, and they're like, "All right, now here are your golf courses and your cemeteries." So there's a TV show called American Greed. I don't know if you've heard it. I've seen it for the first time last night, and it's one of those kind of um, dramatization of real life crimes that were done. And the the episode last night was these two elderly women that took in homeless men, opened up insurance policies on them, 
and then ran them over with a car. <laughs> Jesus God. <laughs> oh, no. You can't take out insurance policies on random strangers. They, they unless claimed, unless they're was, employees of you, as I understand They were claimed it. to be fiancés and cousins. They were first brought in <laughs> as mail fraud. What? That's how they first got... Mail fraud? Because they knew that they... The, 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 the investigators knew that they killed them, but they didn't have any proof yet. So they first... They brought them in under, with mail fraud because they had lied on these these applications saying they were relationships in different addresses and stuff like that. And they were paying these guys rent under their name. Like they had ru- literally rubber stamps, like actually stamp stamps made wow, of rubber intricate that plot. had their um, signatures, these guys' signatures on them. But They're, who who does it? Like, so the Betty Whites of the world are sitting around going, you know what I need to so I need to find and kill a homeless person. Like, what? Yeah. Their first idea was to marry the homeless guys and then divorce them for their money, but they that didn't, yeah, that work, didn't out work out. That takes too long. <laughs> that, that takes way too long. For, yeah, because they have to build them up and actually get the homeless men back in the jobs and all this stuff. So then I just right. ran them over. They figured that they need two years to kind of pay p- premiums for about two years and sustain them for about two years and then kill them. That so what's insane. up with the they? You're saying that this is like a group? It was like, two like, women. Like the wives club? It was like oh, a right. meetup.com club. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Party at my place. And two bumps in the road this time. Oh, nice. So instead of book club this month, we're going to start a new new activity. Oh God. So how many did they do this to? Did they did just one? Uh, well, they, they successfully killed two. Um, and then oh they God. had two others that they were working on that they that the investigators saw them on surveillance trying to get. Working on, they had like run over them only three times. No. They're just like, oh, they're going to back up again. Get in there! No, they had set them up in housing and were being all nice to them. Apparently, right? Margaret Atkinson is related to six different people who became bums for some reason or other. We don't know oh why. And the, and the whole point of it was that they think that they were caught because of their greed. They went for too many insurance policies. They're going to see too many homeless people. <laughs> these are the best insured bums in the world why, why do these bums have so much insurance <laughs> if they had gotten for few, fewer insurance policies they think they might not have got them oh my god well that's what the greeks say character is destiny right we just actually got a um a life insurance policy and this is the first time this had ever happened to me i had to get a life insurance policy and so uh this guy came to our house and the doctor came to and the physical but because why did you have to get a life insurance policy um didn't have, didn't to. have to but my mom it, my mom had left a little bit of us some money mm-hmm. and so you know it was a good idea at that point based on i only had like what i had like ten thousand dollars from the university of connecticut from like 20 years ago so it was i needed to get something and so I, so I worked out this policy where we were going to do this with them. So apparently, if you ask for a certain amount, it goes from being just no, a standard... No, wait, I still don't understand. Why does having money imply that it's better because to Because it means be, that the earning potential will be higher. Policy. I mean, like, if, if something terrible happened to me tomorrow... I really don't want to get into the details of this. But if something terrible happened to me tomorrow, then Clea would be completely on her own and would have no way to replace my salary and would be having to take care of Cenevine without anything. But how does that relate to... It, having money that you just inherited because like, is, like, is a hedge against something no, bad because happening the life already. insurance amount is more because you have more money to begin with. Really? Yeah. How? That's weird. I don't know why. <laughs> it's just what it is. <laughs> I don't know why. Yes, it's very weird. It's because of the like interest that you can accrue I think through that's wealth, what it is, and yeah. so therefore, I think that's exactly. Oh, what it is. that makes sense. But so they, so the I guy, but but the, apparently, because the guy came in and he's like, you know, so I had to do urine test and he has to draw blood do blood pressure you know little things like that and he's like mm-hmm. and he's got a portable ekg machine wow i'm like 
uh, what is this for? He's like, well, it's indicated over a certain amount. So, like, if you're if you're insured below a certain amount, they're like, ah, oh, we don't care. After a certain amount, like, <laughs> check that guy's electrical rhythm out. All right, I don't want I don't want any arrhythmia going on with this thing. And it struck me how absurd this is because, of course, all these things are basically bets, right? Mm-hmm. They're betting that you're going to live. You know, longer than the extent of the term I mean, policy. You really can't think about this, or uh, it would just drive you insane. But that's literally what that guy did: is he came to our house to assess the likelihood of Greg dying. Yeah. Right, and I have to say that I am rooting with the companies on this one. <laughs> I'm not. I I am a hundred percent behind them. I'm like, go team, like go. <laughs> It's the one case where I don't have to feel worried that the corporations are trying to kill me because like, they want me alive, man. They don't. They don't. You know. Um, That's hilarious. The the only side thing of that is that, like if you're ever in a coma, then the company be like, keep him alive. Like, somebody come in and like force the breathing machine out of oh your face. Oh my god! It's be like he keeps breathing and we don't pay out. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't think I have that, that. That may not be as much of a concern, but that is pretty funny. I mean, like, just the concept is like you die and they like taxidermy your body. Now he's still alive. He's standing in the corner right there. He's fine, <laughs> smiling. He's been frozen in the same position for three days. It's like, well, he's just you know, he's meditating. He's resting. I, all of a sudden, I'm like the parrot from the Money Python. No skit. payout. Oh my god. And it is. I mean, you know, it's just one of those sort of absurdities. It's part of modern life that you don't think about until you're in the pro- and you're like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, I well, you know, I will sometimes. There's been at least on three separate occasions where I'm, I'm, you know, going to bed at night. I'm laying there and I'm thinking about the fact that we still haven't don't have a will, and we still don't have a, a, any idea of who will take care of Senevine if we passed away. Yeah, we have to do that. And I think about that every once in a while. I think of like, okay, well, who could do it? As if I'm like planning someone to babysit her for the next weekend. (laughs) Thinking like... Oh, they should be all right for another year. Ultimate babysitting (laughs) test. Yeah, like, so I'm thinking about like, oh, I guess uh, that person and that person. And then I have to, after like a, a few minutes of thinking about that, I stop and remind myself, okay, in that scenario, I'm not here. Okay, I think I'm done thinking about that now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is the kind of thing where we, we're going to have to do this soon. Do it, put it in a little strong box, and forget about it. Like, well, the reason we haven't not, done you know, it is we literally don't have anyone we know that we could. No, that's not Russ, why. do you want to be uh, Yeah, do you, wanna take, do you want to take it? Well, no, we, my, my brother is, is her godfather. So the God, it's the godfather's job, right? It really, it technically would be my brother's job. But that I, was if I'm, we were, like, Catholics. What? No, what? He was part of the ceremony. Yeah, we didn't call the, the godfather because he's a Buddhist. But in but the ceremony, it didn't. He really... was the Buddha father. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, he, he, the Gotama Buddha father. I'm the Gotama father. Who raised that would you? Be a good movie. We got to make that. That's a spoof. The Buddha father. <laughs> the godfather, the Gotama father. <laughs> Who who's gonna raise your child? Oh well, if God. something happens to us, she'll yeah. be raised with the karma of the universe. If you come it. to me on the day of my daughter's prana, <laughs> I cannot refuse your request. <laughs> Open your third eye very wide. <laughs> it's like a big Bollywood thing all of a sudden, like everyone's dancing. That's good shit right there. Every time I try to get out, they pull me back into the fifth level. What? You can't just shoot him from across the room. You've got to take the samosa and mash it into his eyes. Bada boom! <laughs> like that. Jaime Roth never respected your father, but Jaime Roth cared about the whole Jaime Roth thing. Or Fredo, how would that work? Like the Buddhist brother who you know betrays the other Buddhist brother? How exactly would that work? Like you wouldn't throw him into the water, right? You'd just be like, I will ensure you do not come back. Into the Ganges with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, your you know, saffron is no good here anymore. <laughs> you know, one thing my mother uh, used to tell me when I was growing up is that people, um, karmic teachers, teach that you choose your parents because whatever, when your soul is coming into this life, whatever lesson you think you you need to learn, you choose your parents to help you learn that lesson. Did you learn the lesson, Clea? Some little Chinese girl souls need to learn the lesson of how to die, and so they choose parents that will commit infanticide. No. Yes, this is why that idea breaks down. <laughs> it's not an effective idea. But anyway, so that was that was my mother when she always, you know, when I would, whenever she's like, oh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm good, not, a, I was, I'm not a good mother, and I wasn't a good mother. But just remember, you chose us. Your fault. You chose me. Exactly. You're bad. Oh my God. Well, oh. since we uh, don't want it to be bad for all of you as well, and since we've come to the end of an hour, uh, we're going to have to close it down here. We want to thank everyone for listening as always. Uh, we'll be back to you soon with uh, probably the group. Uh, the, the four of us, I imagine, will return again. But uh, we want to thank uh, we'll Russ for being out again. here. We'll return again. We want to thank Bronics. Russ for being out here directly. I'm and, in the Bronix. Uh, and uh, if you see someone walking around with um, a five-toed rubber sandal thing and looking very pleased with himself, that's probably Russ. Oh, you um, know what's happening on sunday russ what the bronx borough the 37th bronx borough arm wrestlers oh festival. that would be classic especially yes. if you used your foot oh like, what is a vibram's five feet five <laughs> fingers for you blam it's five fingers oh my god i'm holding a rubber sole i cannot win <laughs> what was that what was the that Buddhist. movie with the over um, the top um the one that was like that mtv cartoon where she's She's a uh, Aeon Flux. Yeah, or, Aeon Flux. Remember they? Oh, how did I just come up with that? Oh, That's pretty impressive. Because we're because we're connected. Booyah. Um, but Go uh, off by the... <laughs> but they were in them. Uh, one of the characters had her feet replaced with hands. Yeah, totally. To do. be a better assassin. Perfect. So that's what we'll do. And yeah. What? <laughs> We will have his feet replaced with hands so that he may care for our daughter when we die. <laughs> After he wins the arm wrestling championship. I have a bottle in one foot and I have a coloring book in the second uh, foot. Well, there is, what's it, Vishnu? What's the the one with the... Um, right, the multiple hands, the Ganesh. multiple arms, Ganesh. and swords. Ganesh? Ganesh, you mean. Ganesh. <laughs> That's the Jewish one. Multiple Ganeshes. <laughs> Say goodbye, everybody. Bye. Ganesh. I'll destroy you with a thousand conditions. I've got a sword in one hand. I've got this mouse over here. I'm not an elephant. <laughs> the proceeding was a presentation of the MEP Report, hosted at www.mepreport.com. All rights reserved. In no way should any part of this show be construed as an invitation to buy, sell, or trade flightless birds, or reassemble Voltron, or at least not the stupid one of the cars. Please support the Mep Report by voting for the show at www.vitalpodcast.com, adding the show to your list of favorites at podcastpickle.com, and clicking on the Vote for Mep link on the Mep Report homepage to vote for us at podcastalley.com. Email us at Greg, Russ, Story, or Andy at mepreport.com, and call us and leave a voicemail or a fax at 206-600-MEP1. That's 206-600-6371. And finally, please join the fight to stop the senseless farming of emu plants. It's immoral, it's unethical, and frankly, it's just a little bit gross. Tomorrow's just another day away